Hey, one, just one piece of scripture this morning, because uh, I've had two nights with you where I've been uh, on a long track, and I promise I won't do that this morning. Um, uh, but I do have something to say, and I think we can get it done in the time we need it to get it done and something to do. Uh, that is uh, book of Revelation, if you can find that one. That's the easiest book in the Bible because it's the last book. And uh, you just find the book of Revelation, and you find chapter 2, and you find verse 17 is our text for this morning. And um, I'd like to say something about the book of Revelation before I begin here. I used to be afraid of the book of Revelation because nobody ever understood it. And if they did, they said they did, the next guy gave a different version than the last guy gave. And the book of Revelation, I think Bob Mumford said once, said, every time I teach it, it's like a giant puzzle and I always have three pieces left over that don't fit anywhere. And I tear it apart again and put it back together again and have another three pieces. And that's the way I feel with the book of Revelation. So I pretty much stayed away from it until I found something that really encouraged me in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 2, uh, verse 3. And this is what is, was said of the book of Revelation, which, by the way, is not Revelations, uh, plural, but it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It was originally the original text calls it the revelation of Jesus. But verse 3 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which were written in it, for the time is near. Now, what I saw in this, it says blessed. First of all, you're blessed if you read and you hear. It doesn't say understand. <laughs> I love that because I thought I had to understand it to be able to get into it. And I thought there's just a blessing on reading the book of Revelation. There's a blessing on just heeding the book of Revelation because the time is near. So I spend a lot of time reading stuff I don't understand out of the book of Revelation. And every time I get a revelation on the revelation and speak it, and two months later I don't believe what I just said about the revelation because it's, it's forever changing. And so and it's like an onion. There's just layers of, 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 of uh, fulfillment of the book of Revelation. You go all back to 70 A.D. and see some of the uh, fulfillment of the revelation of Jerusalem. Some of the things that happened in the book of Revelation uh, happened in 70 A.D. and the fall of the Roman Empire. It also goes through history. You see multiple fulfillments of the book of Revelation. Antichrist has come in many forms throughout history. So, so the book of Revelation is a very broad book. But anyway, I uh, said I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't get into that. So, so let's get back here to... Uh, so we're going to read, and if you don't get anything but reading and hearing, and maybe you don't understand what I'm saying this morning, you're still blessed, and, and I still have a way out. So there we go. So that's why I chose that for the Sunday morning. So if you're there, camp there, I just want you to put your marker, put your finger there, because I want to give you a backdrop to this. I'm going to do two things. I want to I give you a backdrop for what I'm going to say, and then I want to discuss, I want to talk to you from my heart about this scripture, which I believe is pertinent for this church for this morning and for this year. But let me give you the backdrop about that first. I'm going to talk to you this morning about, I guess I would call it the spirit of generosity, and to tell you why I want to talk to you about that. Somewhere uh, in the middle of last summer, toward the middle of last summer of 08, the Lord began to talk to me about the spirit of generosity. Now, there's, there is giving, and giving is wonderful, and there's tithing, and tithing is wonderful, but you could kick it up a notch and call it the spirit of generosity. Generosity, to me, is a fuller word than just giving. It has more implications. It has more, uh, more of an ump to it, more punch to it. Generosity is, when you're generous, that means you go way beyond what's expected of you to do. You go double. You go triple. You go the extra mile. So there's times when people give, and they're nice, and this wonderful and that's wonderful, but then generosity actually puts it in a whole frame by itself out there. 
So the Lord began to talk to me about the spirit of generosity means beyond tithing and beyond just giving. But it's just, just radically, crazily giving, you know, uh, out of your heart, you know, way and above what's expected of you. And so I begin to think about that and begin to think about implementing that. You know, we've got to think it through before we actually do it. And uh, so anyway, what started happening to me in the, in the fall of the year is that when I started doing that, I started preaching that to myself and to, uh, in a couple of conferences, things started going crazy for me. I mean, the first time I preached it on my way home from the airport in December, I had $2,100 bills in my pocket that I had taken out of the bank to buy my grandkids and my wife and my children Christmas. And uh, I went through the security at the airport, Philadelphia, and never saw my wallet ever again. Well, I, I did see my, they sent me my wallet three months later, but the, the Lord raptured the money out of there somehow. It was like just gone. I don't know. So there was a generous thing. I just, I was forced to be generous there or something. But anyway, so, I, and then, and then just things started to happen. Things started breaking. My health started going weird. Car breaking down. You just all kinds of crazy things that are happening. And so I began to think about that. Isn't that like the enemy? Every time God acts, he reacts. And every time God acts, the enemy reacts. And it's a sense the test to see if we're going to believe God. Are we going to believe the circumstances or the reaction that comes from the act that God has called us to walk in? And I knew that and understood that. And I was thinking about that and thinking how that was working for me. And it's been a tough year in some areas. I mean, economically, it's been tough. And, 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 Laura and I, Laura's mother and I nearly got killed in our Toyota Sequoia, who had the front end drop out from under it, hit the ground on the pavement, sliding across the pavement. Never happens. That's the Toyota Sequoia. My gosh. You know, it had, they had a, it had a faulty piece of, uh, of, of recall part on the front end. It was the only one in the nation that ever done that as far as it just hit the ground. It was out of control, you know, and got that fixed. Then it broke again. And then other things begin to happen. And I'm thinking, and all the time, I'm knowing God said I'm supposed to be generous. And the more I try to get generous, the more the, the backlash begins to happen to us. But I'm determined to not let that bother me. So a few uh, weeks ago, I'm thinking about this, and I've come upon a revelation that you may already know. And, and, and that I knew, but I didn't put it together. You know when the pieces of the puzzle start coming together? And I was thinking about God began to talk to me about the spirit of generosity in about August of last year. And it was September of 14th to the 15th of last year that the banking industry in this nation collapsed. It was actually October, uh, September 15th, the newspaper says, but yesterday banking uh, industry in the U.S. collapses, economy is going down, Great Depression is coming. Well, all of a sudden I remembered what September 14th was. Do you know what September 14th was last year? September 14th was the first day of the year of Jubilee last year. It was the 70th cycle. Jubilee is 50 year, a 50-year cycle. Every 50 years in Hebrew history, every 50 years, uh, it was called a year of Jubilee, and trumpets were blown, meaning that all debts were canceled, all people who were in prison were let out of prisons, all offenses were forgiven, money was given freely, things were given away, everything you've lost was repaid back to you triple-fold over again. It was a year of generosity and a year of blessing and a year of regaining everything you had lost. It was a year uh, of, of absolute um, freedom financially and soul and spirit. And I'm thinking, oh my Lord, I didn't see that. The Lord acted and the enemy instantly reacted. And September the 14th was the first day of the year of Jubilee. This is the 70th cycle. The last one was 1948. So in 08 of September 14th is the first day, the Jewish, uh, first day of the Jewish calendar of the new year. And it ends in September 14th of 09. 
And in this loop of the year of Jubilee, when we're supposed to be experiencing the greatest prosperity in 50 years, when we're supposed to have our debts paid, we're supposed to have more money than enough, we're supposed to be forgiving each other, forgiving debts, and, and walking in prosperity, we have one of the worst banking collapses in decades and decades, and we have people telling us that we can't give because they, our IRAs are going down, our bank accounts are going down, the stocks are going down, and there is this, this, this neutral, uh, or this fear tactic, fear tactic uh, from the media that neutralizes the word that God has already spoken to us, that this is a year of plenty, and this is a year of jubilee, and this is a year that God is going to release us from debt and release us to prosper. And I thought, isn't that just like the way it is in heaven, the war that goes on, those, those, those extreme polars? I mean, that, that, that pendulum swing, when God says one thing, the enemy reacts and swings the pendulum all the way to the other side. It's that age-old conflict between the new man, the old man, the voice of God, the voice of Satan that says, half God said, between the promise of God and circumstances. It's that age-old dichotomy that we wrestle with as Christians that we have to get our hands on before God can trust us with what he's about to do so i want to challenge you just as a backdrop before we get here this morning with that we're living in conflicting realities this year we're living in a dichotomy of realities we're living in contrasting truths and one of them is a lie and one of them is the truth and some of us have chosen to believe the lie instead of the truth the truth is that we're living in a year of jubilee and god has declared that all properties are given back to us, all real estate comes back to us, all monies we've lost comes back to us, all offenses comes back to us, every debt is forgiven, we're free, we're out of debt. That's what the year of Jubilee means. That is the truth. That is the ultimate truth. And we're living all night in the year, the 50th year of the year of Jubilee. It was 50 years ago before this happened. It's happening for us this year. On the other hand... A pseudo-reality has emerged in the nation saying, that is a lie. We're going down the drain. Set on your money. It's not going to happen. Don't give anything away because you're not going to have enough to make it through the next time. You need to, you need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do that. And there is this fear tactic and this, 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 this uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, anyway, there's this sense of fear in the land. And this sense of crisis is the word. Gosh, we've heard that enough. There's a crisis of confidence in our economy in the land. And there's a crisis in the land of giving. And it's said right now, the last month, the, 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 uh, the records came out that across the nation, on a whole, giving is down in churches 40% right now, this year. Already, on a whole, probably not in this church, and the church that I'm involved in, not so. But on a whole, on all the churches in America, the giving and, and tithing is down 40% right now. And this is the year we should be doubling. Tithing and giving should be up double because this is the year of Jubilee. But isn't it like the enemy to do his job better than we do ours sometimes? And he scared us into a corner to believe the circumstances instead of the promise that God has given us. So I am determined that this is going to be the most generous year that I have ever lived. I don't care if it costs us everything. Laura and I have determined that. We begin to give. I begin to give money. I, 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 had, I didn't even tell Laura this happened to me last week. I, I, when I went to church, I had a few hundred dollar bills in my pocket. I was just looking for kids to give one to, just to freak them out. <laughs> and I did give one to a teenage girl. That freaked her out pretty good. I thought, I wish I'd have brought them out. If I'd have had a thousand, we'd like just, just pass them out to kids. And like, ah! You know, I mean, just the spirit of generosity. And so, so, so I feel the spirit of generosity. I actually told the church here a while back, hey, this is my address, 1331 
Caroline Circle. Anything I got yours. You want to come to my house and get it? Just come on over and get it. Just come and get it and pick it up and take it home with everything but my wife and the dog. <laughs> and my guitar and my truck. And anyway, there are limitations. But no, I do feel that way, and Laura feels that way. And we're really, we're really trying to overcome this false kind of false smoke screen that's in front of us that's saying, this is not the year to do that. Things are getting tight here. You've got to hold on. And the Lord's saying, don't hold on, you know, turn loose, you know. The enemy's saying, hold on. The Lord's saying, no, break on through. Turn loose. This is your year of breakthrough. This is your year of giving. Because I understand that I can only keep what I'm willing to give away. And I can only own what I'm willing to release. Because if I don't release it, then I don't own it. It owns me. And I don't want money to own me anymore. I don't want things to own me anymore. I want to own it. So if you own something, you have the privilege and the right to give it away. And if you truly own it, you will give it away. Because, listen, you can only keep when you get to where you're going in the Lord. And when you pass and go to heaven, you only get to keep what you give away. And I really believe that our generosity and our giving in every area of our life is a bank account in heaven is stored into. And when we get to heaven, it's going to be amazing, you know, uh, you know, how many checks we have or don't have when we get there. So I think our spirit of generosity and our giving and our kindness toward each other in that, in that context goes beyond this life and has implications into the next life. And wouldn't it be interesting if we're sort of, you know, put in places of responsibility because there are different places in the next life according to Paul and better resurrection, etc. According to our kindness and our generosity. Remember the mother of two disciples said to Jesus, Lord, which one of my sons can sit at your right and left hand? And he didn't rebuke her and say, there's no levels in the kingdom of heaven. He just said, it's not for me to know. Only the Father knows who can have that close proximity to Jesus in the next life. Wouldn't it be interesting that close proximity to Christ in the next life would be determined by your love for him, your interest in him, and how much you gave to everyone else, and the kindness and the goodness of the Lord? I really believe that's what it's all about. It won't be about your gifting. It won't be about how great a preacher you are, or how many of this you did, or how many of that you did. It's going to be about the issue of heart, and do you have kindness of heart were you generous beyond a fault did you give and give and give and give so that the person you gave to said this is pressed down shaking together and running over this has got to be God I really believe this is a very important value in the economy of God's kingdom and we have an opportunity this year in the fa- look look you know what it's doing it's looking to Satan in the face and literally spitting we have an opportunity to really slap him in the face he has said to our economy you can't do that this year when God has said, this is the year of Jubilee. It's a time to hit him right in the face and go, hey, I'm not believing your reality. I have a citizenship in heaven. I'm not even a citizen on this earth who you dictate. You're the prince of this world. I have a citizenship in heaven, and in heaven there's no lack, there is no need, and I live my life by the economy of heaven, and I choose to superimpose the economy of heaven over this shaky economy on earth. And Jesus said, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm living by the dictates of the economy of heaven, not by the dictates of the economy on earth. Therefore, heaven trumps earth. Heaven trumps uh, earth's economy. Heaven trumps everything that has to do with earth. And because of that, and as a result of that, in my opinion, this year, you and I have the greatest opportunity to be generous, to give, and to also to receive and prosper like we've never prospered before. Yeah, there was a weak amen, but I'm telling you what, you might, I know, I know a good investment when I see it. And you, you know, I know, and this year, because people got, what's a good investment? The best investment you can do is give. 
I mean, everybody's looking for the right investment. I'm telling you, it, it produces the greatest dividends. It produces the greatest uh, uh, interest. It produces the uh, compound. It's compound interest. When God pays you back, it's compound on top of compound interest. It's pressed down, shaken together. I don't know what that means. I just love that term. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Whatever it means sounds like a lot of stuff. That's what the Greek means, a lot of stuff. Crammed in. Okay. So that's the backdrop. I just want you to hang on to that backdrop just for a minute. And think about that. I just want to set that landscape. And I want to read you some things that I, only I could tie this together. I don't, know, I don't know if I'll be able to do but I'm going to try to, to tie this together. Because it does fit in my little head. And there is a, a nexus or a connection between the backdrop and between the scripture here. Now, the book of Revelation, the spirit is writing. And he's talking to the church. And he says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. And so I'm saying to you this morning, if you have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying, I want you to listen. To him who overcomes. Now, here's where most of you drop out of the picture. Here's where I drop out. Seven times the Scripture says, there's things I want to tell you. Have an ear to hear. Listen. And it starts out with, to him that overcomes. You go, okay, that can't be me. I don't need to listen because I'm not overcoming. I got this in my life. I got that problem in my life. I just got mad yesterday. I just, I just nearly cussed. I mean, I, and, I, and I like, I ran this guy off the road. Uh, I got road rage. I got home rage. I got office rage. I got church rage. I, you know, I got dog rage. I got cat rage. Whatever. Just, I'm just raging. And so you're thinking, I, I can't now. And I, I feel like a backslid. I don't feel like I'm so. That doesn't apply to me. But when you look into the Greek, the best way to, to, uh, to say, uh, the best translation of that word overcomes, it actually means, the core of that means, it doesn't mean to do something like Superman leaping over tall buildings and just like overcoming the whole universe with one single blow. It actually means to stay the course. It actually means to hold the ground that you have. And it is a cousin to the thought or the scripture where Paul said, after having done all to stand, therefore, stand, which could mean overcome. Sometimes you overcome just by not going backwards. You know? <laughs> I mean, just by holding your ground. In battles, in war, armies overcome by holding their position. And so when you look into the Greek here, can I have the fan now? When you look into the Greek here, you'll see that, that the word, um, he that overcomes means that he that holds his ground or he that is not moved, or he that is stable and plants his feet in one spot. So I want to tell you before we talk about this, you can't, you can't, you can't opt out of this scripture because you think I'm not an overcomer. If you're just even standing on your feet and breathing in the Lord, you're an overcomer. Because it could be worse. You could be doing the stuff you used to be doing, and that's undercoming. And you should be, could be going back, you know, just the fact that you're surviving, you know, and just, just, just maintaining is, is, a, is, is an absolute commentary to, to the grace of God in your life. I mean, come on. Because, listen, you don't know. What you don't know is how many demons are in front of you pushing you back. You have, when you get to heaven, it's going to be incredible when you see the measuring stick. You, 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 will not, you judge your own paper. You give yourself a failing grade. Sometimes when you're not going forward and you're just maintaining, you don't see that there's an invisible force of hosts of demons in front of you. And just the fact that you're standing on your feet and just standing and not going backwards is the most successful thing you could ever do in your life because you don't understand the opposition. That's why Paul said, after having done all to stand, sometimes you just need to stand. And when you do, that's being an overcomer. So... And some of you, it's even more difficult because your life is difficult. And some people, this is why you can't judge people. 
about, about where they're at in God. Some people spend their whole life, because they were born in, in unsavory circumstances, or they had a lot of emotional problems or abuses or, or whatever's going on, DNA, whatever. Some people were born with that, and some people it takes all their life to get where some people start when they were born. So you can't use the grading scale on everybody because everybody's different, their circumstances are different, and just the fact that they're hanging on means that they're an overcomer. And maybe you wouldn't even be able to handle it. You wouldn't even hang on if you had to deal with what they do. You're going, oh, look at them, man. They're just stuck in the mud. If you had to deal with what they were dealing with, you'd be sucking the mud. You know, I mean, it's like some people have a lot of stuff on their plate. And sometimes you don't, but your time will be coming. I guarantee you, everybody's looking at you and look at them. Man, I thought he was more spiritual than that. So, okay, I said that to say, this is for you. I don't care who you are in this room, you are an overcomer, and you need to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And here's what the Spirit is saying. Remember the backdrop. The year of jubilee, spirit of generosity. To him that overcomes, will I give some of the hidden manna. Let me talk. What is he talking about manna? Provision. Resources. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness, and times got bad for them, and, uh, you know, they had gotten out of Egypt through this whole, you remember the whole bailout thing that happened? And is the, whatever, the billion-dollar bailout. And uh, they went and, and they gave them all their gold, the whole bit, and they left Egypt. They're in the wilderness now. <laughs> their money's run out. Everything is ran out. And they're without food. And if you remember, God made manna, which was a bread, heavenly bread-type substance. I don't know what it was. Angel food cake. I'm not sure what it was. <laughs> I don't know personally, I, I, I personally, I, I think it was probably tacos. I don't know. Because that's, that's what I like. I, I don't know. Maybe. Coconut cream. That's it. That's coconut cream. But manna was falling from heaven, and what it was, it was a form of food that sustained them. It was heavenly manna. And it was food made in heaven. It was fresh from the bakeries of heaven. I mean, can you imagine that? Getting up in the morning and going, I'll take, uh, you know, you only got the menu says one word, manna. You go, uh, we'll have manna. Uh, you, do you want that poached? Do you want that eel or easy? How do you want, uh, you know, just like, well, just give me manna. But it was good. And they ate the manna. And remember this, that it carried them through the day. And the scripture said that they couldn't keep any over till tomorrow. Because it would rot and it would breed worms the next day. So every man, Exodus says, gathers according to the need that his family had. And so he had enough, but not too much. Now, Jesus said, take no thought for tomorrow, but sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. And he began to teach about how that God watches over the birds of the air and over the spares, and he feeds them every day. And he says that you should be like that. You should say, give us this day, Lord, our daily manna, our daily bread. Now let me wrap that up for you and pull the threads on that. Here's what I mean by that. I know we're in economic unstable times, but there is hidden manna for those who have an overcoming attitude. There is hidden resources in God that will fall from heaven every day of your life if you can learn to walk in the now and not in the tomorrow. The problem we have with American mentality is we have a stock investment mentality. And we're always worried about what's going to happen next month or next year, our IRA down the road, instead of worrying about what's going to happen today because you might not even be here next year or tomorrow. And Jesus tried to turn that mentality with the church and say, look, you guys have got to have a now mentality. Because he said to him earlier, for now is the kingdom of God. 
now is the kingdom of God. We have a way as Christians of always putting things off into the future. We either live in the past, the shadows of the past, or the illusions of the future. Seldom do we live in the now. And one of the reasons we are without provision, are without what we need, is because we're not now. You know, the Indians, the American Indians used to have a saying, that there's no time, the only time that ever exists is this moment. And truly, that is true. Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow doesn't exist. The only time you have is today. This is the day. And Jesus said, sufficient to the day. This day is the evil thereof. Take no thought for what you shall eat, what you shall drink, or what you shall wear. He said, because didn't God feed the birds and clothe the flowers? And, like, and wouldn't he do that for you as well? So, if you're overcoming, if you're in God, this is your year to tap in to the now hidden manna of God. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to devalue the, you in this building who have lost money in the stock market or your IRA, and I feel very bad for that, and savings. A lot of people have lost, but I'm saying God is giving us a way out. This is a year of jubilee. That means all monies that have been lost are going to be returned. That means all debts are going to be paid. That means all bad deals are going to be made right, and all harmful offenses are going to be righted. I mean, if you can grab hold of that and go, okay, Lord, I'm going to do it one day at a time. There's hidden manna for me, and starting today, I'm going to do what David did. I'm going to arise. I'm going to pursue. I'm going to overtake, and I'm going to recover today and then tomorrow i'm going to arise over pursue overtake and recover tomorrow then the next day i'm going to arise pursue overtake and recover and as we do that day by day by day by day the lord's going to begin to bring back to us pressed down shaken together running over a a a a a sense of jubilee that will be extraordinarily beyond everything you've ever dreamed or imagined i really believe that i know you're looking at me like this guy's crazy but i believe that i believe that there's the opportunity this year, to do what you thought you could never do financially. Do you know the greatest fortunes were made in the Great Depression? Some of the greatest fortunes were made in the Great Depression by men who didn't have a negative spirit, by men who saw the opportunity and never failure. It was said of Thomas Edison when he was inventing the filament for the light bulb. After 10,000 failed experiments, 10,000, his, his, his personal assistant said unto him, Mr. Edison, you must be very discouraged. We've done 10,000 failed experiments. Aren't you discouraged? And he said, heck no, I'm not discouraged. I just found 10,000 ways this thing don't work. <laughs> and he eventually invented the light bulb. You can never truly succeed until, you, until you're not afraid of failing. People that are afraid to fail will never succeed. Because only people that fail succeed. Successful you know, I mean, find a measure of success. So this is a year of opportunity like you and I have never known before. If you can get out of the negative uh, propaganda that you're hearing on the TV and the negative propaganda and circumstances that are in your life are your bank statements showing that something is really wrong. If you can push past that and truly believe that God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind and repent and what he has spoken, he has spoken and be like Jesus and say, it is written, so be it, that we can turn this thing around and we can turn it around on the devil, we can slap him in the face with the word of God and say, and you meant it for evil, this economy clouds, but God has turned it for good for our blessing because he has declared this year, this year a year of prosperity. It's time not to fold up our tents, it's time to push all the chips to the middle of the table. Remember the song by, who is it, you know, you got to know when to hold them, you got to know when to fold them. Well, I'm not even, forget hold them and fold them, all the chips are in, I'm pushing all the chips in the middle. I'm betting 
on the fact that this is the year of Jubilee. And if I put some faith out there, God will prosper me and bless me regardless of what the economy does. Because, listen, there is not a, there is not a, 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 there's not a crisis of money or lack. There's the same amount of money. Actually, there's more. They just printed another trillion dollars. There's more money out there than there ever was. It's just whose hands are they in? That's the deal. So it's not a crisis of not enough money. It's a crisis of not enough confidence and faith that we're wrestling with. And, of course, Congress will tell you, the news media, our bankers, or Wall Street will tell you, we don't have as much of a financial crisis as we have a crisis of confidence. Because of lack of confidence, American people are not buying, they're not investing, because they're afraid, they're scared, and they're running from the tragedy that they feel. And so they're not generous, or they're not spreading the wealth around. Didn't mean to say that. Gosh, whew. Hope Joe the Plumber's not here today. So, so I, I, I mean, there, there's a crisis that goes beyond the crisis that we're looking at. And it's a crisis of confidence. And I'm here to say, in a minute we'll say something else, but I'm here to say, hey, shake yourself. Slap yourself. You have to go to the mirror and slap yourself and say, stop thinking that, that poverty spirit that's on you. My gosh, it's just one year. And it's just beginning. We don't know where it's going. This thing may work. I mean, we may be, you know, the economy, oh, the economy, so what? What if the economy gets worse? It's going to get worse. So what if it got worse? It got so bad with Joseph that the whole land was in a drought. But because he had a positive attitude and listened to God and invested at the right time, he had more money and more wealth than was imaginable. He saved the whole church. He saved all of Egypt and every neighboring country. This guy was gates of, 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 of the Old Testament. I mean, he was a multi-billionaire in his day, and he began in the bottom of a prison with a prophetic gift, with a positive attitude that God had said he would rule and reign and prosper. And regardless of the downfall of corporate Egypt and the implosion of the economy, he rose to power and was the wealthiest man in the world. This is your year. This is my year. Isn't that the way? Wouldn't God do it that way? He always waits to the most impossible moment when it looks like it'll never work and goes, no, it's now get her done. You know, did that for my little girl here that likes me to do that. Little, where she's at? She calls me Larry the Cable Guy. I don't know why she does that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, forgive me, Lord. Bless all the pygmies. Anyway, so here we go. So, one more thing. Okay. Hidden manna. Why is it hidden? Uh-huh. Because God, hey, God hides himself. God's hiding himself. Listen, this year God's hiding himself on a lot, hiding himself on a lot of levels. And one way is he's hiding himself in provision. He's not so upfront. He's going to wait to see if you really will seek it out and believe what he's saying. It's hidden. It's in heaven. But you've got to pray the prayer. God, let your will that's hidden in heaven be revealed on earth. And when we begin to pray that and lock into that, it's going to happen. Okay, look at this. We're going to have hidden manna, and one more thing. And I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give them, the church, a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. What in the world is that? I'm going to tell you. You're thinking, what's that got to do with anything? It's got to do with everything. This is going to set you free. That's right. Just going to wrap your burrito. Watch this. Okay. I'm going to give him a white stone. Have you ever read that and thought, Jesus is in the business of, of you know, it's like he, he's selling white stones? Uh, what is it, a mood stone? Or, you know, what is it? Okay. 
Let me give you the history of the white stone and why this is extremely important to you and to this year. Tell you what the white stone was. In the book of Exodus, God said to Moses, I want you to ordain a priesthood. And I want you to take Aaron, your elder brother, and make him a priest, a high priest unto me for the children of Israel. And I want you to vest him with garments, Exodus chapter 28, 29, 30, 31. I want you to vest him with beautiful garments, an ephod, a robe of the ephod, a curious girdle, a mitre, and a breastplate. Now he said, the breastplate shall be made of a square beaten gold of one piece of pure gold. And on the breastplate, you're to place 12 different uh, 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 precious stones, rubies, sapphire, emeralds, and on each stone, 12 of them, you're to engrave the name of the children of Israel. Judah would be on, the, you know, uh, the ruby, uh, I think it's, no, I think, I think Judah's on the diamond. Uh, and anyway, each tribe's name was on a different stone. And he said, when you get the breastplate situated on the priest, there's a little bag, a pouch, that goes under the left side of the breastplate, right next to the heart, and it has two rocks in it, and they were called the Urim and Thummim. And one of them, Urim, meant perfect lights, or light that is perfect. And it was the way to discern the will of God. Now let me give you how it worked. First of all, the breastplate was the body of Christ and all the twelves. And it was said of Aaron, the high priest, you can be partial to no tribe. In other words, you can't get into this whole, you know, I'm, I'm with them because they're just like me. I mean, he had to carry... The, the King James says he carried the iniquity of the children of Israel upon his heart. Uh, other translation says he carried the judicial decisions upon his heart before the Lord. So he went in before the holy place to, to intercede before the Lord. He called out their names, and he interceded, and the Lord could see he was carrying uh, the children of Israel on his heart. But when he would go out of there, and questions were asked him, our decisions were made about economy or about war, they would say to him, what is God saying, yes or no? And he would reach into this bag under his heart, and it had, uh, most historians and Bible teachers say, there was a black and a white stone in the bag. And he would put out a, pull out the bag, and if it was a black stone, he would say no, God saying no. And if it was a white stone, it was God saying yes. And so they actually ascertained the will of God and the voice of God by the sovereign kind of uh, act that this high priest did, believing that God would guide his hand, and the stone that he pulled out would be the answer to the problem. That's when David needed to know the will of God. Remember he said when he needed to know, shall I go to battle, shall I, shall I go, someone bring me the priest's ephod, because he knew the Urim and Thummim was in there, and he knew he could pull in there and pull it out and find out a yes or a no, and it would be what he would prepare war by, the yes or the no. Now, okay, here's what you may not know. Throughout history and ancient uh, culture, the Urim and Thummim of the priest's breastplate took a transformation and found its way into the judicial system and the court systems of the Hebrew people and of the Eastern people. And it's well known and documented that in court cases, that's why you see judges wearing black, that in court cases of, ancient, of the ancient Easterns, they would, the way they would judge people would be by black and white stones. The jury would be given a black and a white stone. And the lawyer would present the case to the judge, and the judge would say, what's your verdict? And secretly, the juror would either put a black or a white stone in the middle of the box. A black meant you are prosecuted, you're guilty. White meant you are acquitted, yes. One meant no, not good for you, you're out of here. White meant yes and amen, you're acquitted, you're set free. 
you're out of here. So they would count the stones, and if there was more black stones than white stones, the man was imprisoned. If there were more white stones than black stones, he was acquitted. And so you find this throughout the culture of the Eastern culture, and it goes for, for hundreds of years, they used the black and white stone, which, was, which had its beginnings in the Urim and Thummim in Exodus chapter 28. Now, pull this all out here. And, and to the, now, I'm losing some of you because this is too much information. But look, slap yourself and say, this is too much. But that's all right. It's Sunday morning. So, Jesus said, he that overcometh, will I give the hidden manner? Now, now, who's the high priest? Not Aaron anymore. Who's the high priest? What does Hebrews say? For this same Jesus has ascended on high, and he's become the high priest, and has sat at the right hand of the Father, and as a high priest, he forever liveth to make intercession according to the saints, a will of God, for the saints of God. So he's now our Aaron, and he has a Urim and Thummim. Now he has the breastplate with our names on him, and he sits beside the Father, and the Father looks at him, he sees us. Because Jesus said, when you see me, you've seen the Father, I and him, him and me, me and you. This is all one big family deal. So when God looks over at Jesus, the high priest, he sees every one of us, every church and every tribe, because Jesus, our high priest, is carrying us in his breastplate. Okay? So he has the ability, and there's still the Urim and Thummim there. So Jesus, uh, the Spirit says to the church, he that overcomes... Will I be given that? And I will give him a white stone. Now, Jesus has the capacity, of course. He did that at Calvary. He produced the greatest, purest white stone in recorded history at Calvary. He said, Father, forgive them. Yes, they don't know what they do. The whole humanity is acquitted. No one is held guilty. He who knew no sin became sin that you and I may be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. For it's not by works, you know, lest any man should boast, but it's by the gift of God. For we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the glory of the knowledge of Christ may be of him and not of us. Because it has nothing to do with us. It has to do with the generosity that is in the heart of Christ to bless us and to acquit us when we were truly guilty of many sins. I'm sounding Baptist, I know, but I'm Baptist too. I pretty much figured once saved, I'm always saved. I pretty much got that one down too. I've been tired of being saved over and over and over in the Pentecostal movement. But anyway... Like, I'm bored with that. Okay, so, rabbit trail, shoot it. Okay, here we're back. So, we're back. So, Jesus gives a white stone. He overcomes, gives a white stone. So, we've been given a white stone. We walk like we've been given a black stone. That's why Paul made it clear in Romans 8, verse 1, Therefore, therefore, now, not tomorrow, now, there is therefore now no more condemnation, black stone, to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the liberty of Christ Jesus has made you free from the black stone, the law of sin and death. And then Paul later on says, so therefore, you should set your affections on things that are above and not on things that are below. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. And he went on to say, therefore, it is not I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I live now, I don't live by a black stone condemnation, the weakness of man. I live by the faith of the Son of God. And he said, that's a big yes. That's a big amen. That's a big acquittal. That's a big forgiveness. So we do live under the white stone. So, look what he said, and I want to get to one more point, and we're finished. I will give him a white stone, and I'll write on him a name that he doesn't know, that no one knows but him. Now, this is going to sound real Bob Jonesy, but I'm going to put it out to you, because I love Bob when he gets off on these things. There's a name change happening this year. God, in our forgiveness, in the salvation package that you and I have got, God is writing something on our 
our salvation package on our lives that no one knows but he and I and him and you. Something very personal is happening between you and God this year. Name means, name depicts the character of someone and defines the nuances of his personality or her personality. And a name distinguishes you from all other people and puts you distinct in a place only you, you, you and God. That's name. When you call someone's name, you, you know, you identify who they are and you distinguish them from everybody else. The Lord says, you have a name, but I'm going to give you a new name. This year. And I'm going to write it on a white stone. That means that new name's got to be good for you. He's putting it on acquittal and forgiveness. It's got to be a good name. So here's, here's the tricky part. So some of you have had names all of your life. Not your name, given name, but names. Like, for instance, your name is anger. Or for instance, your name is rejection. Or for instance, your name is lust. Or for instance, your name is, is stingy. Or poverty. Or your name is infirmity. Or your name is sickness. We all have names that the enemy has named us. And it's the old man. Our old man has a name. Your old man has a name. But he said, if you'll get this, if you'll, give, if you'll receive this white stone, I'm going to give you a new name. And I, there's a name change because this is what Romans says about that. He says, therefore, he has adopted us into his family and predestined us to the adoption of sons and daughters so that we now carry his name. Not the name of what we were, or what our circumstances are, or how, or the abuses in our life, or the trouble in our life. Not to devalue any of that, but I tell you what, we need to get rid of those names. Because what happens when you have that name, the enemy constantly uses it to call you names. Intimidation. Some of you people, some of you here can't do what you need to do because your name is intimidation. Some of you can't do what you need to do because your name is fear of man. Some of us can't do what we need to do because our name is poverty. Our name is uh, our, our lack or our rejection or our, our, our self-loathing or our, our, our abuse or whatever. Listen, God's here to change some names. This is the year of Jubilee. All of those names are getting wiped out. New names, freedom, release. You're out of the prison of, 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 of confinement, of character that you have been in. And God's saying this to you, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ Jesus, therefore he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Old names have passed away. All things have become new to you. Isaiah 43, 19 says, Behold, I do a new thing with you. And suddenly, suddenly, this year it's going to spring forth. This is our year of Jubilee. This is our year of manna. This is our year to prosper. This is our year for a new name. This is our year for a new start. This is our year for freshness. This is our year to get it right. This is our year to do what the devil thought we can't do because he has beat us in the head all of our lives telling us we can never become what God had already decided that we should become. And it's time to show him who's boss. Because Jesus said to his disciples, Behold, I give you power over the name caller. That's what, that's what the scripture says. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's a name caller. What is an accuser? He calls you names. He degrades uh, you know, your, your, your name, your personality. He's a name. So this year, heaven has filed a lawsuit against the accuser. And the scripture said, and the accuser of our brethren has been cast down. And they overcame him by the word of God and their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. You have no idea the time. We're, we're living in the most precious, pivotal, incredible, wonderful, opportunist time that you could ever imagine. But we're duped into thinking it's the worst of times. And it's the same old, same old cloud of negativity that the enemy puts on us every time 
God positions us for a breakthrough. Okay, I'm going to kick it up a notch to finish. Can I do one more notch? This is going to really kick it up. Okay. I'm going to stretch it here. We have a new name. We have a white stone. Okay. What did Jesus, what does the Hebrews say about us? Peter says, for you, the church, are a holy nation, a what? Royal? Oh. We're a priesthood? Oh, we're a priest? Well, the scripture says three times that we're a priest. In the New, three or four times in the New Testament that we've taken on the priesthood. Then, then do we, are we to mimic, uh, do we, what Jesus did, do we have some of the capacity that Jesus, let me show you something. Real quickly, Matthew 16. You got five more minutes in you? Hang on. Matthew 16. Good. I'm in Zechariah. Man, I over, that's, that's overzealous right there. Okay. I know, I know Matthew's in here. Somewhere. Where are you at? Matthew. There you are. 16. Phew, man. Matthew 16, 19. Jesus said, I want to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Wouldn't you like to have that? Okay, here it is. I just talked about it, and I'm going to tell you again. Whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose, let me put this, whatsoever you judge on earth shall be judged in heaven. Whatsoever you loose or acquit on earth shall have been acquitted in heaven. Now, look at Matthew 18, 18. He kicks it up a notch, and he says, Truly I say to you, whatsoever you bind on earth, now the language is getting stronger, shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you will agree on earth about anything, you can ask it, and it will be done for my Father is in heaven. Now in John chapter 23, he goes, I'm not messing around with you boys anymore. I'm going to say it like it is. John 23, 20, 23. And do I love this. 20, 23. Verse 22, and when Jesus had said these things, he breathed on the disciples and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he said something that trips up Charismatics and Pentecostals, and really we don't know what to do with this. He said to his disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anybody, their sins are forgiven. Just wanted you to feel the slap of that one. If you feel or forgive the sins of another person, their sins have been forgiven them. But if you retain their sins, they have been retained. I didn't say that. Jesus said, whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Finally, he made it clear. Let me put it to you straight, guys. Whosoever sin you forgive of people, then my Father will forgive them. For what you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And whosoever sins out of anger or whatever your problem is, whosoever sins you bind or retain or you won't forgive them, you bind up the capacity for them to receive forgiveness. Now, in light of that, now I'm not saying we have the power to forgive sins in that Christ did that once and for all. But in his steed, we have the power to appropriate his forgiveness. Let me say it another way because I didn't get a response from that. We have the power. We have 
we have the power. There's one mediator between God and man, Hebrews said, and that is the man Christ Jesus. So he's the only one that can forgive sins. He legislated that. But he's, judicially, he set that in motion. But we have the right to carry that out and applying his forgiveness to situations. It's not our forgiveness, but we're releasing people by applying the forgiveness of Jesus. Say, the Lord forgives you, and I forgive you. Okay, let me pull this in. Now, if we're priests, male and female, then we should be carrying the people of God on our heart, and we too should have a Urim and Thummim in our heart. We have the capacity to curse or bless, to bind or loose, to forgive or to retain. Hope you can get this. We have the, per- we have the power as spirit-filled Christians, breathed on by the Holy Spirit, to Position people in a place that their sins are forgiven or retained. I will say something very dangerous. One thing I, I do like about all denominations is the thread of truth in all places. And the Catholic theologians have a piece of this down. I don't believe in the extreme doctrine of Catholicism in that it's men that forgive sins, but they understand what it means to release sins and forgiveness of sins. That's what they call confession. And the Father forgives them of the sins. And, and, and I've studied Catholic doctrine. It's not really the priest thinks that he's Jesus. He's actually in Jesus' place as a priest, forgiving them and applying the blood of Jesus to them and the forgiveness of sins to them. And you say, well, can that be true? Well, the Scripture says, confess your faults one to another, your sins, that you may be healed. So in confession, there is healing. I know I'm getting deep, but I'm going I'm to run this all the way off the cliff, Okay. So if we, so we're not Catholics, but we're our priests. Well, Catholic means universal, I am, so I'm a universalist, whatever. I, I believe in the whole universal body of Christ. I'm a Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian. I'm everything. A Pentecostal, charismatic, you know, I'm a fanatic. I'm everything. <laughs> Pretty much, I'm everything. I'm nearly new age. Not in that context, but Jesus said he's doing a new thing, and this is a new era. So I'm saying, okay, I'm new with that, too. <laughs> It's not the organization you belong to that makes a difference. It's the Christ in your heart that makes a difference. So, so yeah. <laughs> what was that? I just, I just dumped myself there. I'm going over the edge. I was going over the edge without a bungee cord. I remember that. Oh, so we're kings. And, oh, we got ten minutes. Ten minutes to one. So we're kings and priests unto God. So we have the right. Not right. We have the power. Matter of fact, we do. Hold people in unforgiveness. We can hold people in poverty by our attitudes. Or we can release people. We have the capacity to give people a black stone, a disapproval, or like our Lord, give them a white stone of approval. This year, I challenge you to give nothing but white stones away. Because you said, oh, but they offended me. Jesus... Listen, Jesus has got an answer for everything. He said, if your brother has ought against you, you go to them. Go, Jesus, why you keep making it so difficult for the flesh? You would think if your brother or sister has ought against you, they should come to you and go, I have ought. No, Jesus said, if they have ought against you, you go to them. This is your year to make things right. You want to be blessed? You want to get into this loop of... of, of, uh, of uh, Jubilee and a prospering and breaking on through the barrier and the membrane that's holding us back from the next move of God and revival. You want to? Listen, all debts have got to be paid. That means personal debts too. 
I'm talking about personal offenses. I'm talking about people you've held in prison in your heart and unforgiveness. You've got to let them go. People you've been angry with, you've got to let them go. People who've owed you money, you've got to forgive them their debt. Do you, under, do you hear what I'm saying? The year of Jubilee meant that all debts are forgiven. When someone owed you money and the year of Jubilee come around, you just kiss that money goodbye. Right, look at me. If someone's owed you money and it's been bugging you and eating at you, you need to let it go now. If you want God to bless you. Because this is the year to obey the Word of God and to cancel all debts. Not only that, you need to believe God that this is your year to get out of debt completely. And the only way you're going to get out of debt is to give as God commands you to give and give a white stone of acquittal and blessing and let generosity flow through your life. But generosity will, will, will hollow out a trench, uh, you know, uh, a conduit for God to pour this incredible blessing through in your life. The more you give, the wider the trench for receiving becomes. This is an incredible year. It's time for us to get it right with each other. It's time to go home today. Some of you are going to need to go home today and call up whoever you need to call up and say, I love you incredibly. I forgive you. If you need to say I forgive you, or you forgive me, this is the year of Jubilee. I'm holding no offenses anymore. Matter of fact, you are incredible. You're wonderful. You are something else. I just want to bless you. I just want to push you. Listen, listen, people know that they're bad. People know that they're in sin. You don't need to restate the obvious. That never leads anyone to God. The Scripture said it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. The goodness of God. Some of you have problems with your mothers or your fathers or your families or the way you were raised or abuses, and, and I don't devalue that. And I'm sorry about that, and, and I know and you've been in counseling, and that's helpful, but I'm telling you there's something beyond that. You've got to reach way down in your heart and find that white stone somewhere down. It's, the, it's there because you're like Jesus, and you've got to pull it out. You've got to go, here, there's no condemnation for me to you on any level. Anything you've ever done, said, anything we've ever been through, it's done, it's over, it's gone. This is a new day. This is a new day. God's doing new things. Yeah. So, here's what's going to happen. Money is going to increase in this church. Giving is going to increase in this church. People are going to start giving more. To each other, cars are going to exchange hands. Uh, Sir, say guns, but why would I say that? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I, I'm reluctant. I lived in California for 17 years. You know, gun control. You know, that whole thing's like guns are from the devil. But of course, I know in Carolina, gun control. Gun control means a steady hand. So, so maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe guns, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever. Whatever you got three of, you know, I had, I had 13 guitars. I had 13 guitars five years ago. I've got arthritis. I can't play them anymore because, you know, I was going to be a rock star when I left the church. You know, I worked on my testimony for seven or eight years in the rock business. And, and so anyway, I used to play guitar for a guy named Russ Taft and when we did a rock gospel group and that whole thing. So anyway, so I'm a musician. All about it. But I had 13 guitars. That, that had mostly been given to me. I'm talking about expensive. I had Taylors, I had Strats, I had Godins, I had the whole bit. And the Lord said to me, how many guitars do you play at one time? I go, well, Jimi Hendrix could do two at one, or at least two, maybe. You know, can I keep the Strat? You know? And he go, I go, why? He said, you need, to give them, you need to give them away. And this now I'm down to what? Two guitars? I'm down to two guitars now. I had, 10 years ago, no kidding, I had 33 guns. 
because uh, no that was 16 years ago I was pastoring a church where one of the elders in the church wouldn't tithe they didn't believe in tithing but he was a single guy and he, he was a gun fanatic he took me out every month and bought me a new gun instead of tithing <laughs> I never never rebuked him ever once never you know, I'll go there are exceptions in the kingdom to tithing yeah. I had Glocks, I had 40s and Ws, I had 45 Smiths, 5906 Smith and Wessons, I had assault rifles, I had, I'm pastoring, you know, I have you know, like uh, 357 Magnum, snub nose 38, something it's like 22 calorie, I had the whole bit. Anyway, the Lord said to me one day, how many hands do you got? I go, two. He goes, how many guns can you shoot at once? I said, two. He goes, okay, once you get down to two. I got two now. I gave those all away. Well, I actually sold one. But, but I gave, I sold the Glock. You cannot just give a Glock away, you know, with a 15-round clip. You know, so anyway, I, I sold, I, I, I gave them away. I gave them away. I have two guitars left now. You know what's happened? Lately, my hands are coming back. I'm going, hey, I, I think I can play a little bit here. My gosh, I nearly sound as good as Keith Richards. Now. I mean, like, you know, I know I look better than he does. But it's like, man, you know. But it's the time to give. It's the time to, you know. Some of you got stuff you've been hoarding for years. You got like 20 of them. Like, oh, all 20 of them. You're like, what are you going to do with all 20 of them? You know, I got, I got 16 cars. You know, well, there's only seven days in a week. If you drew one each day, that wouldn't work. So Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, he said, here's what it should be. One brother's abundance should be a supply for another brother's need. He called that equality in the body of Christ. It's not communism. It was a Pauline revelation in the book of Corinthians to the Corinthian church. He said so that there be equality and no need in the church. That if one brother basically said has six of something and one person has none of nothing, then he gives him one of that one. And there's this, I, I call it a Holy Ghost swap meet starts to happening. And you're going to have a Holy Ghost swap meet in this church because the spirit of generosity is on this church. And starting today, people are going to start giving each other, releasing each other from sins, from sins, whatever. If you sin from debts, from money, there's going to be giving. And Father, come up here with me, hon. This, come, this is my wife, Laura. We're in this thing together. I bought her this incredible teapot here about a couple of months ago. I paid a lot of money for it. It's not Snowman's Sonoma's or whatever that place is. Anyway, Sonoma's or whatever, I don't know. Williamson, Sonoma, I don't know. And, and I come home and found out she'd given it to, to somebody, you know, that, before we even used it. And I thought, hey, honey, I'm, I'm preaching this stuff. I mean, we, we got to live it? God, man, that was expensive, you know. Now I'm down at T-Bonham. But anyway, that's all right. Never mind that. So anything to say, hon? No. Okay. All right. All right. But she's, she's you know, so, so here's, here's the way you do it. it. Guys, if you think you're not generous, enough, I mean, you think, what am I going to do? What do I do? This is for God. Just for God. You think, God's talking to me about giving. What do I give? If you don't know, ask your wife. It'll always be more than you think. Because guys are thinking, they're balancing the checkbook and thinking left ring. And when women get under the anointing, Oh, man, they're nurturers and givers anyway. They just give it all. So every time I think, I say to the Lord, Lord, what, what do you think the Lord's telling you to give? And without ever, without exception, it's always more. I up it, and it's always more. And then just recently she told me last week, honey, I told her, she goes, I always think of what you think, and then I lower it and say it, and it's still more than you. <laughs> that's, that's low. That hurts. That hurts right there. That hurts. But she has a vision for, for, for orphanages and the poor and for children in India, which is in her ancestor. Her gr- grandfather was, uh, was a missionary, missionary to India. India and built schools and that sort of thing. It's in her blood. It's in her DNA. she just give it all away and just go, and go, hey, let's keep something. Come on. But anyway, it's not just a t- I mean, the more you give away, the more you get to keep is what I'm saying. 
So, so we just, how, what are we going to do? Release I th- that? I think everybody should think of at least one thing yes. that they could give away or a service they could give away. Yes. But it doesn't have to be huge either. If you don't have yeah. a whole lot, it's Yes. She said, somebody, think something that'll cost you something. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to cost you. In other words, you've got to go, ooh, not that necktie. Mm. Not a necktie, that wouldn't work here. I mean, ooh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not that, you know, not that, not that. Ooh, yeah. Think of something, think of some service you could give, our time to someone, our money, our, our, our you know, it may be somebody you don't even want to hug. You know, or, or whatever, or, or, and, and whatever you do, be generous. Do it double what you think you should do. Whatever you think, just double it and you're closer to what God's thinking. And can I say one thing? You can. And don't do it so you can get back. Yeah. Just do it to give. Give it unto the Lord. Know that, you know... And be, you can even be hidden about it or, you know, but, but just give and, mm-hmm. and get out of that whole, you know, big teaching about, you know, giving to give. Just give something. And if everybody gave something and you continue to get it, you're going to go into a river oh, that's yeah. going to keep on moving. Oh, yeah. Because that, that spirit is on the church. Yes, I, it's really strong here. I just, well, I just, it's strong here. We just got into that, what, two weeks ago at the Church and Grace Center. I talked to Pastor when He said, this thing is going crazy. People are being forgiven million-dollar debts. Uh, uh, one lady gave every penny she had in her offering, and she got $5,000 nowhere next week. It just, and it's not that whole uh, television, you know, giving, yeah, you know, yeah. there's 100 people on the phone. This is the whole, I, I hate that stuff. You don't know how bad I hate that stuff. I throw shoes, don't I? throw my shoes. I throw shoes at the time. I go, get off the television. You know, you're hurting our cause. You know, go Go to work somewhere. But no. you know who gets it the best is the young people. Yes. They just go for it. They, yeah. The youth and the, yeah. the young people, they're really... Yeah, I had one it's, young... It's they snowballing. Do. They do. We had one young person come to me and gave me his prized newest iPhone I, pod. The, the, the big yeah, mega, mega, mega... His hands were shaking, yeah, an and I'm going, I'm not even an Apple guy. You know? I'm going, all righty. But, 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 I mean, it was, like, incredible. It was, like, the most valuable thing in his life. And he was just so blessed. I could see he was yeah. so, 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 so blessed. So, yeah, that's what we want to do. We want you guys to, to do that, to give. And, and give where an area where it hurts. Like, if you don't, like, let me just give you one quick example. Like, we were thinking about a couple weeks ago, what can we do and give? We preach at our church. We, you know, we tithe. We give money there. And I'm in the ministry. I thought, what, what can we do that's so off the charts? You know what we did? We decided to go in and start cleaning the church. So we were there last week vacuuming the church. They had to cut back on their cleaning. They had to cut they back on their cleaning because of financial. And yeah. we decided, and, and they're like, they're still, they're stunned. They're still like going, they don't even know what to, they don't even have to say. Well, we had a blast. We had a blast. It was really fun. So. Had a blast goes because, because it's like it was generosity from the heart. So what, so what God, that's what God required of us. It's like, they shouldn't be doing it. You know, people are like, I shouldn't be doing that. My God, you know. He should be out in the world doing what he does. And go, no, I like vacuuming. And, it, and you know what else? What was really interesting is the woman that was there to clean. Yes. She's this little Hispanic woman. Her heart was broken that day. Her brother had just, just died. died. And with us coming in, that's what I loved about it, yes. more so than the church, that it ministered to her. She wept and cried. The yeah. timing was amazing. I mean, was she so goes, amazing. you would do for, to help yeah. me? Yeah. And I go, yes. I said, she goes, but you, you preacher, you pastor. I go, I go oh, no, I, I, I want to. This is my service to the Lord. She goes, oh. But oh. God did a work in us, As, yeah, remembering in us. In the days when things were really yeah. simple. And, yeah, and when we were young. Just feeling the love, doing things for the Lord and not, 
out of rank or Preach it, woman. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Go. I've been interrupting you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're, we're, we're four, four, four minutes over. So, so we release you to give. I, I don't feel it's too... I'm, I'm not prophesying. We, we prophesied over you. This is, yeah. Let's release it. Honey, let's release the, the spirit of, of that. Lord, we release the spirit of generosity in this house. Yes. On every person is here. This is your year. I prophesy this is your year of breakthrough. The Lord says, thus saith the Lord, I'm going to do the unexpected this year. I'm going to arise in places where you said there's no way God can pull that off. The Lord says, I'm not only am I going to pull it off, I'm going to cause you to excel in your destiny. I'm going to cause you to excel in your businesses. I'm going to cause you to excel in your life, in your homes. I'm going to cause you to excel in your churches. I'm going to cause the spirit of generosity and the spirit of giving to come upon you. And you're going to give like Israel did to the tabernacle till Moses said, it's too much. Take it back. We have more than enough. I'm going to cause money to come. I'm going to cause resources to come, time to come, services to come, love to come, kindness to come. I'm going to cause you to give in every arena of your life. And like a geyser, the giving power of the Holy Spirit is going to come out of your belly. Rivers of living waters are going to flow out of you. And like my son Jesus, God said, you're going to give, whether it be one woman in a well, you're going to give everything you've got to her, or whether it be the masses and the multitudes, will you turn fishes into more fishes. I'm going to cause miracles to begin to happen. I'm going to cause an explosion of resources to begin to be diverted to your path. I'm going to give you an opportunity to invest. I'm going to give you an opportunity to give and to get given to. I'm going to give you an opportunity to fit into the economy of heaven. I'm going to give you an opportunity this year, says Lord, to prove that Satan is a liar and that he's a robber and a thief. And if you catch him red-handed, according to the law, says the Spirit of God, he has to repay back a hundredfold. And I'm going to cause all that has been taken from you, if you will believe me, and if you will arise in faith, it shall be restored to you. And like David got back everything that was taken at Ziklag by the Philistines, I'm going to cause your Ziklag to happen this year. And all the stuff that has been taken in the families that have been robbed and the children that have been robbed and the monies and the things and the peace that has been robbed, David went and pursued and took it back from Ziglag. I'm causing Ziglag to happen today and the enemy that has stolen is going to be caught and you're going to pursue and recover everything that has been taken. This is your year of recovery. This is your year of recovery. This is year of recovery. This is year of recovery. But you must give, give, give. You must give, give, give. And not only give, you must be generous beyond imagination. You must be generous beyond stunning. You must be outrageously generous, says the Spirit of the living God. And if you do, I will cause you to succeed. I will cause you to blossom. I will cause you to go forth. Is it not true that I gave the most valued possession in my whole world, in my whole being, when I gave my son to you? I gave the most valued possession I have. I gave the love of my life, the love of eternity. I gave him generously to you. And should you not give small things back, says the Spirit of God, and if you will, I will cause to return to you what returned to me when I gave him. I got you back. I got a humanity. I got a world back through giving from generosity. I am a generous God. I am a kind God. I am a loving God. I know the desires of your heart and I want to bring them to pass. I put it in Abraham's heart to say that, that he his seed would be blessed. I put it in his heart to understand that in all nations he would be blessed because of the seed of Abraham. And did not the Apostle Paul say you are Abraham? 
Abraham's seed and your heirs according to the promise? Are you not children of generosity? Are you not children of favor? And should you not say to this mountain, grace, grace? Should you not say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea? Should you not say to the obstacle that's in front of you and the financial doubt and the worry and the enemy and the thief of mountain that's in front of you, be removed and cast into the sea? If you will say it and not doubt in your heart, this year you can have whatsoever you say. For whatsoever you bind is bound and whatsoever you loose is loose. So the Lord says, begin to loose generosity. And as you loose it in this earth, I will loose it in heaven. And heaven and earth shall kiss and you shall receive the benefits of generosity. And you shall say, Lord, it is coming down like rain, pressed down, shaken together and running over. My cup runneth over shall be the tagline for this year, says the Spirit of God. You shall say, it is more than enough because I am a God of enough, Lord. Thank you, Father. And we receive that and we, have, uh, and we, and we reach out and embrace that generous and, and loving uh, admonition from you this morning. And we say, uh, pull out your white stone. Just keep your eyes closed. Reach in there and pull out your white stone. It means yes. It means acquittal. It means they pull out and say yes. As loud as you can say it. Yes! 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 Yes and amen. You guys are incredible. You're incredible. You're incredible. It's gonna, I'm telling you, it's going to go woo-woo. I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. i gotta, I got to stop. It's, it's 10 after... Ten after one. My goodness. No, if we don't listen, here's the way. If we get there in the next twenty minutes, we get to the restaurants. We get to pick up all of the Baptists' tips and stuff. You know, and like they're gone, they're gone, they're gone. You know, no. Another thing. Tip. Start tipping. I'm t- yeah. My daughter's a waitress. Is professional waitress for for thirty years, and she said, Dad, in the waitress world, every waitress fights to not work on Sunday. No, every waitress in this nation hates Sunday because it's the least tips they get. Christians take up the most space, stay the longest, are the most demanding, talk the most, and leave the less money. Uh, any waitress, you know what I'm talking about. You know what, and my, they fight to not do Sunday. They hate to do, my daughter hates to do Sundays. Or conferences, when there's a conference Or when there's town, a conference in town. It's the tipping. worst tipping. It's, it's, they, they spend up all their time yeah. and work them hard, and there's... Bad tipping. So every time, so I'm tipping and walking out and thinking, oh, generosity, and go back in and doubling it every time. Going, okay, here, you know, doubling and watching them go. Whoa. Even at the Sonic, you know, giving a ten dollar tip to Sonic. I mean, they just quit their job, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rich now, you know. <laughs> anyway, we're going on here. Brian, come, bless. Thank you, guys.